or airdropped uh, photos. Have you been doing that this year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried to take a page from your book and uh, was airdropping people pictures of my baby, which they... Uh, I feel like people are less amused by random baby pictures than random cat pictures. So I I didn't realize this, that when I airdrop these things, all of the they're all my photos are geotagged, so I've just sent like hundreds of randos my home address. <laughs> <laughs> but you moved, so it's fine. Yeah, I know that's that's what I thought. I realized this and I'm like, oh well we're moving, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to always use those old photos at future conferences. Yeah, exactly. Or figure out how to remove the remove the location data. So what are we talking about today? Not code. Not code? Well, we can talk about code. Just talk about religion. No, I don't want to talk faith? about it. You want no, to talk about faith? No. <laughs> Action faith? Is this a faith-based podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I did like uh, Sam in his talk yesterday was talking about, well, he had a bunch of slides assuming that 5.1 was going to be out and then had to change all of them when 5.1 wasn't out. But then Raphael was like, I should release 5.1 just to troll Sam. <laughs> uh, anyway, he was like, we su- will support Rails 5.1 with the exception of we don't support uh, action, action, uh, religion, faith test case or something like that. It was, it was funny. <laughs> this will make no sense to people who have not seen the keynote. No. Well, this is the podcast isn't coming out for a while, right? Right. Right. Okay, so they'll have an opportunity to see the keynote. Yeah, we'll, we'll put have a link to the video. We'll we'll put a link to the video in the show notes. Exactly. <laughs> is a thing. Is a thing that people say on podcasts. I'm not making any promises. <laughs> is this being recorded? Are we recording now? Yeah, okay. we're live. This is the show. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> we're joined yes. by Aaron Patterson. Third time. You're the first third time guest on the Bike Shed Podcast. Oh wow, three times. Is that appropriate? I mean. Bikes only have two wheels, right? <laughs> well, I'm the third. I'm the third wheel. This is the third time for me being the third <laughs> wheel on your bike shed podcast. This is true. Half Life yes. Three confirmed. <laughs> How's the new gig? Uh, great. I love working for GitHub. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you had just started there last year, right? Yeah. No. Did I? Did I? I think so. I started in Mar- I started on March 28th. Yeah, so you would have just started when you were on yeah, last year. Okay, okay. So last time I was on, I probably had no idea how good the job was. <laughs> and it is good after a year. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. I'm just working on, like, Ruby and Rails stuff. And I don't know. Lately, I've been working on GC stuff. Um, but it's a good good place to work. I mean, people are friendly. It's a good environment. Most of the company, or I'd say half the company is remote. So we have a good remote working culture. Um, which is nice because that's how I prefer to interact with people is just text. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when, when I started at Shopify, one thing I was just, because I feel like there are a couple of companies where when you work on Ruby or Rails, you care about their problems regardless of whether or not you work for them, but it's sometimes a pain that you just can't access their source code. And I remember when I started working for Shopify, it was just really nice because it's like, oh, all of these all of these issues that you guys keep telling me about, now I can just go see what you're doing and 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 fix it much more easily that way. Did, did you have a similar experience with uh with GitHub? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, so for the first, I don't know, 3 months or so, I was working on well, I, I don't do much app dev stuff right. at all now, but when I was when I first started there, we had I was and it was because um Basically, uh, 
we had encoding issues in the in the application. GitHub was carrying patches against Ruby, and the origin of the patches was that you know they built their app on they have an old app. Right, the app was built on Ruby 1.8. Uh, Ruby 1.8 didn't have any encoding support. Then Ruby 1.9 came out, and it had encoding on strings and engineers there at the time were like, you know, we really want the speed of Ruby 1.9, but we don't want to figure out all of the encoding problems. So uh, they added a custom patch to Ruby that essentially just ignored any encoding issues and then carried that patch forward until like, well, until I started working at GitHub. Right. So that was bo- most of my time was like, at the beginning was essentially fixing the encoding issues in the application such that we could remove the custom patches and then be like then I could just start working against trunk and right. not have to have these weird patches around. Well, one it was only one patch. I say patches is one. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Are you guys uh, pointing at uh, latest Rails? Are you able to run against Rails Master as well? No, no, not yet. Uh, actually, Eileen is working on that currently. We've got three two in production, which is why three two is supported for security releases. <laughs> uh, is it? This is news to me. Well, I support it and <laughs> on the security team, so yes, it is. <laughs> but once we like once we move forward, so yes, all of you listeners out there, this is why three two is supported until GitHub until we've upgraded, then then all bets are off. <laughs> we just bleep out the version so that we don't get a bunch of people like, oh, three two supported. I yes. need a bug fix. <laughs> uh, so we're I don't know we're in the middle of upgrading and. Eileen's actually working on the upgrade on the upgrade. I did some of the work on the upgrade and now she's doing the hard part, which is this is a theme. I hear that this is <laughs> yes. a theme in well, Eileen's so, work. So I felt I felt kind of bad like I started working on some of the upgrade cuz I'm like how hard can this be? And we had we had, you know, thousands of failures and I got them down to I don't know, maybe a hundred or so, but th- those last ones, those right. are like those are the hard ones, and so I just left those. And then Eileen starts. Eileen started working at GitHub, and she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna work on this upgrade thing." And she's like, "Oh, there's there's only like a hundred test failures." And then and I'm like, "Uh huh." And, <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, "She's like, ah, these these are these are really hard." And I'm like. These are a hundred individual uh, failures. Yeah. There are no more fix this one thing in five hundred test pass. Well, that's, yes. that's what it sucks about doing those upgrades is that you don't have any like real metric for how close you are to being done because sometimes you do you, you fix one failure and that fixes five hundred other ones and then sometimes you have the one failure that takes a week of work for one failure. Yep, yep. I, I think one of the biggest issues that we're running into is essentially the um, so from three two to four we changed. Uh, relations so they don't return proxies they don't return real array mm-hmm. and we have a lot of stuff that's like well they return a proxy that lazily you know lazily loads stuff from the database where in 3.2 you'd get a real array back and we'd have a lot of stuff that expected a real array via like duping or just whatever right know, just something so a lot of those fixes were like, uh, 2A, all right, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> One of the big ones for, for us at Shopify for the Rails 5 upgrade was parameters not inheriting from hash anymore. Because we had a bunch of code that was doing is a hash. Really? And there's just, there's like, you can do respond to permitted, but that just doesn't feel like a good proxy. And you, and you end up like, okay, now we're caring about action controller parameters in places that really shouldn't care about action controller parameters, which is kind of a bigger smell of like, why are we just passing random parameters parent hashes around? around but, yep, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to balance when you're doing a Rails upgrade. Like, oh, and also I'm finding all of the ways that this code needs deep, deep refactoring, but I also need to get this upgrade shipped. Yep. 
I know that feel. <laughs> the the plan for Shopify is we're hoping to start running master on our CI. Maybe not for every build, but like once a day. Although somebody on my team keeps talking about like, and let's just randomly run master on one percent of production traffic and. Uh, that thought terrifies me. I don't want to run, throw any production traffic at Master. And when you say something like 1% of production traffic, like that's still one out of every 100 users stands a chance of like hitting a, a bug that was never, it was not in a released version yeah. of Rails. And that one person could have been trying to buy a $500 item from one of your customers or right. something like that. I feel like people say like, and this happens, I think Yehuda talks a lot about this, about their work on uh, Skylight. I had to look at your lanyard to get the company name. <laughs> <laughs> With their work on Skylight is like, you know, 95th percentile is still like 5% of your customers have this terrible experience. experience yeah, <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, you know, because we, we try really hard to keep Master not broken. I guess yeah. if nothing else, it would give me a lot more motivation to be super, super extra careful. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be too afraid of running Rails Master in production. I mean, I have pretty high confidence in our tests. I think we have a lot, we have a lot of tests and they're pretty decent, I think. I at least have confidence to the extent that if there is a bug, it's going to be like, a random exception is raised in an unexpected place and certainly not like, and we accidentally deleted a bunch of data or anything yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah. I don't think it would be too bad. I'm hoping that once we get, so once we get up to five, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll start running master in production, at least on a percentage of our traffic. Right. We're, we're oh. actually running a percentage of our traffic on Ruby two five right now on, hmm. on trunk. Yes. Yeah, so this is, this is interesting. So you can, if you want to use newer versions of Ruby with Rails 3.2, come check out our fork. It's on uh, <laughs> on a website called github.com. Uh, <laughs> so if you're in a similar situation where you want to run a newer Ruby but don't want to upgrade Rails, come visit our website. <laughs> Do you find uh, Ruby upgrades to be on the same... Like, I mean, I think Rails upgrades were always a, a more work, but do you, do you find them to be on similar orders of magnitude? No, Ruby upgrades are so easy. They're really easy. After 1.8 to 1.9, and even that yeah. wasn't that bad. Uh, I think that really depends, depends on the on size. Your app. Depends on the app and the size, but everything since has been mostly fine, except for like, I think that there are a number of people who have gotten burnt by changes in the garbage collector, and they get really nervous going from 2.0 to 2.1, 2.1 to 2.2, because they don't know when those, like, if you're not tracking what's happening, you don't know what to look for. And if you are unsure about like how to debug these issues in the first place when they happen, you just you just swear off doing upgrades. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we're getting a whole bunch of warnings in our logs that are like, integer is deprecated. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Use numeric or whatever. And like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. Yes, I get it. <laughs> yeah, we get those a lot in all like from a lot of dependencies when we do two four and on projects. Yep. Have to go and try and sprinkle pull requests around to. It's just it's mostly people doing is a integer, mm-hmm. right? I wish more gems ran their tests with warnings turned on because we've tried really hard to keep Rails warning free, and then occasionally like the mail gem will upgrade, and now our test suite spams warnings. But like, yeah. it, I feel like it should be a, a reasonable expectation that people have of gems that gems don't produce any warnings. Yeah, tell, I mean, it's, tell that to the SAS maintainers. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because gems depend on other gems so like even if i wanted to do it if i have a gem that's like kind of a high level thing that has like three or four other dependencies right well, then no. i need to like make sure that those dependencies are also on board with this like i can do the work for them maybe where i can be like i'll help you get rid of these warnings but they have to continue that's, but that's what i mean right it's then it's reasonable for you to expect of those gems that like you don't produce warnings because warnings usually are there for a reason particularly now that they got rid of private attribute as right a warning, yeah that which... was that was the only one that was like <laughs> 
So one thing, I think the the argument I've heard against running with warnings on is, you know, don't tell me how to code. You know, don't tell me how to how to write my program. If it works, then it works. So it's fine to disable warnings. Uh, but I don't think that that's responsible behavior for a gem developer or a right. library developer because then you're essentially taking that choice away from the person who uses your library. Right. Like the, you know, me as an app developer, yes, I can make that decision. I can say, you know what, I don't care. I'm not going to initialize my instance variables. I'm just going to use them wherever, and it's fine. And it is fine because... It's a web app, right? Nobody is taking your web app and running that, like, depending on that and running right. that thing in production, but that's my choice. Now, if you're a library developer and you're like, no, I'm I'm not going to run with warnings. I'm going to, you know, I don't care about initializing my instance variables. Now, everybody who's downstream of you no longer has that choice of whether they want to run with or without warnings. You've basically said, everyone downstream of me, you have to do it my way. Right. And I completely disagree with that line of logic. Well, and for deprecations in Ruby itself, right, those only appear if you run with warnings. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're much more rare than deprecation in Rails, but they're kind of a big deal when they happen. I think the, actually, is the numeric, I think that one spams you even if That you... one might spam you, but there are a few um, with, like, the behavior of uh, subclasses of hash, and mm. when you call, like, select or whatever, you know, having it always return a new hash and not whatever subclass you call it on, stuff like that. Yeah. There were, there were a few things... I. A handful of them actually shipped in 2.4, though, and some of them just got scarily close, like changing the default rounding behavior of floats. Mm, yeah. Uh, seems like lately they've been playing it a little bit more fast and loose with uh, backwards compatibility <laughs> in like some kind of scary ways. So that was, they moved to banker's rounding from some other thing or something, right? Yeah. Like, and I don't remember exactly what the specifics are, but when I first read that, I was like, they changed how rounding works? Yeah. This isn't going to work. And then I read the specifics of it, and I was like, yeah. No, it's, it's reasonable to fault, but just like there are a lot of apps that need to yeah. not break because rounding changed. We talked about, I, I remember when we talked about that, the core team, and it was like, to be honest, I'm like, I'll never deal with floats. <laughs> right. Like, Use rational. Yeah, like, are you kidding? No. Whatever, go for it. Like, <laughs> Can we undeprecate math then? No, 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 we cannot do that. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember why I searched this, but in an incognito tab once, I searched for require mathn in GitHub search just to see like how many projects are doing it, and the first result is a repository of mine. <laughs> I didn't actually know. I, I didn't understand what it did. I was requiring it because I saw some other code sample do it, and it has the side effect of requiring the prime number generator. Does it? Yeah. And so huh. that was why, and that was why I was requiring it. But it was just, I felt so ashamed. Why would MathN require the prime number generator? I don't know. Huh. Weird. Yeah. Maybe changing how, how integer division works requires prime, prime number numbers. Generators. TIL. How's our Rails three three times faster coming? <laughs> Are we three times faster yet? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> three times faster. Just just sprinkle some caching in, and you're good to go. Ruby, <laughs> Ruby three. Not, did I say Rails three? I meant Ruby three. You mean the three by three project? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting because there's no... We've been coming up with benchmarks for it. But, I mean, since Ruby's an open source project, there's no real person who's like, all right, I'm going to do this thing, and it's going to be three times... You know, I got this project to make it three times faster. And I just don't know. I really don't know. I personally think we won't be able to get it to be three times faster without JIT compilation. Isn't JIT compilation a goal? It is, but there's conflicting ideas on how to do it. So I'm 
once I get done with this GC work, I want to start looking into JIT compilation, and I'm, I'm actually going to present about it in my talk here, though I won't go too deep into it because I know this is RailsConf and like, sure. it's not RubyConf. But what I want to try is do JIT compilation with LLVM, yeah. so compile to native native code. But, I mean, that's very difficult. LLVM, I've heard, is slow. Um, it is. So actually doing the JIT is slow, though you... I personally think maybe that would pay off. Like, who cares? Right. You did it once, and now it's like fast. Well, so it gives it, you know it gives you a warm up time. But right, you, if our, uh, MRI is conservative about when it actually starts doing JIT passes, you can have the the, the warm up time without actually slowing down sure. Ruby Boot at all. Yeah. So I I want to look into that. But then there's also um, uh, Shohei is one of the Ruby core team members. He's working for. A company called Money Forward in Japan, and he's been doing some interesting JIT stuff. He proposed a patch that was essentially a deoptimization framework. Yeah, I remember reading through that. It was very interesting, but the JIT stuff that he was doing is essentially like nothing to do with native code. It was just reorganizing the Ruby VMs instruction sequences. Right. So optimizing Ruby's instruction sequences, not going to native. Well, you would still want both, right? It's going to be faster to do uh, some optimizations at the at the ARV level sure. and not rely on LLVM or whatever you guys go with for all of it. Yeah, it could be that the total answer is a combination of all of these things. So, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of people, to get back to the original question, there's a bunch of people doing different things to get to the Ruby 3x3 goal, but I have no idea how far we are. Right. How do we know it's three times faster? Is there like a... Matt gets on stage and announces, we're three, three times, times faster. Three yeah. times faster doing Woo. what? Not uh, Rails apps. <laughs> no, Rails, Rails apps are one of the benchmarks. Are they? But Rails apps are usually I.O. bound. Like, I know. Yes, I know. We're, so we're, we're trying to track a bunch of different stuff. So like Rails application, we have another program called OptiCarrot. I don't know if you've seen this. Oh, yeah, the NES emulator? Yeah, NES emulator. So that's going to be more math-heavy. Isn't the NES emulator written in Ruby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't it's know It's called OptiCarrot, and it is written by a guy named Mame, and he is a genius. Go check out his GitHub thing, and you'll see some of the craziest code you've ever seen. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, you find a link to that in the show notes. That <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not promising you'll find a link to <laughs> <laughs> Three podcasts in, you're learning. <laughs> so I don't know what other benchmarks are. There, obviously, there's benchmarks in Ruby itself, but those are all like synthetic benchmarks, like red-black trees and things like that, right. like not mm-hmm. not real code. Right. So to be honest, I don't know that we'll even reach a 3 by 3 goal or a three times faster goal with Rails. Like, right. I don't I mean... I, <laughs> without fundamentally changing how we deal with, with memory... I don't think we can ever see Rails go more than... I mean, there, there's there's performance gains that we can squeeze out, but for the most part, it's I.O. and then just allocation and, and garbage collection is the, are the main bottlenecks, at least that I see. I don't think GC is a bottleneck at all after doing it on our... looking at our application. Even allocation is super fast. GC is also super fast. The thing is, is like, our app is... It's completely I.O. bound. It's, right. Well, actually, that's not true. Actually, it's not true at all. It's <laughs> our worst performing pages aren't I/O bound. We spend very little time in the database, but we spend a ton of time concatenating strings, <laughs> like tons of time <laughs> concatenating strings. And I'm like, is a three by three goal actually going to make string concatenation three times faster? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> or even if you do, like, even if you wanted to do that, there's other techniques. Like, so one thing that I think we need to do in Rails. 
that we're not doing right now, unless somebody has fixed this, which I doubt. Ruby, I think 2.4 added support for pre-allocated string buffers. So you can say, like, I want a string, and I want it to be this large, yep. right? So one of the problems that we're facing at work is when you're, you take that generated ERB content and you throw together, like, you build up the page from that, you buffer it up and send it off. Uh, we're spending a lot of time resizing that, right. resizing that string. So what I was thinking, one thing I was thinking is we can kind of predict the size that it's at least a minimum size, because right. you know the size of the ERB template right. that you're compiling. So you should at yeah. least at least create a buffer that's at minimum that size. Yeah, maybe even like 1.1, 1.2 times. Yeah, something. Some, some, some reasonable small multiplier. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that we, then we would spend less time resizing that string yeah. as, we, as we generate that buffer. But techniques like that, they're going to speed up your Rails application, but it really has nothing to do with Ruby, right? Like, this, I mean, yes, we get that buffer functionality came from Ruby, but Ruby, the language itself, getting 3x faster is like, not going to help the situation at all, right? right? One of the other things I, that I've been wanting to do, which I, I just, I, not that I would expect Ruby to provide the tools for this, but I, th I think we'll see, like, on some of the endpoints in Shopify, like a 5%-ish improvement. Just we have a lot of, of a lot of little, small helper objects that get allocated with an active record instance where there's only ever going to be one reference to it, and that's single directional from the active record object to that thing. I would, I would love to just handle all those in a single allocation, have them laid out side by side in memory, and have the garbage collector know that these are just the lifetimes are tied. They're always going to be cleaned up together. Yeah, I was thinking about doing something like that. So you could say the one issue with doing so. I think the optimization that you're talking about is you say like, okay, I have a bunch of objects allocated next to each other. I know that they're all going to go, these young objects are all going to go away at once, so I can just call free on the entire block. And right. Just, yeah, I basically just want slab, uh, a slab allocation. Yes. So the problem is um, finalizers. So right. we have to iterate through each one of the objects, checking to see whether or not you have a finalizer. So right. we can't just do that one. Right, no, and that's why it's like, it's way more, it, like the things that Ruby would have to care about are a lot more, for the general case, are much greater than what I need to care about for this specific case. So I figured I, I was thinking about doing a native extension in Rust and seeing if I could play around with it and get something reasonable there, just to play around with how easy is it to get an actual major Ruby extension written in Rust instead of C, because that's an interesting idea to me. Well, one thing I mean, one thing we could do is um, for each page we keep a bit mask for. Uh, we'll, we keep a mark table, which is just a bit table off to the side of the page. And we also keep, um, I don't remember, there's some other tables. But you could keep a table for finalizers too. So what you could do is say like, okay, I have a chunk of objects that I know are, you know, as I'm walking through the page freeing up, freeing up objects, you're like, okay, well, I know that the next 10 objects in this list don't have finalizers. So I don't need to iterate over those. I can just skip them. Uh, you can one. add a finalizer after the fact, though, too, right. can't you? Well, as soon as you add a finalizer, you have somebody, it marks it in the bit table. Oh, so yeah, you, you would know, basically what you would know is you look at the bit, bit table and you say, okay, I have this contiguous block of objects that I can just let go of. Yeah. Well, you, you said you're doing GC work now, but then you also said GC is not a bottleneck. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> so we have, a, we have a problem. Well, I'm working on compacting garbage collector, and it's... Basically, what a compacting garbage collector is, is when you allocate a bunch of objects, 
some of those objects get freed, they get released, but you end up with like holes in between the objects. Yeah, you got to defrag. Yeah, you got to defrag. It's exactly like the defragging thing. This is essentially defragging, but for but for memory. So all this does is just rearrange all the objects so that they're next to each other. And the reason motivation behind this is twofold. Uh, one, well, I guess threefold. One, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Two. Like, actually, I have a lot of motivations for this. Two, people said it couldn't be done, and that annoys me because it's software. Right. <laughs> you can literally do anything with software. <laughs> um, then we're seeing the practical application of it is that we're seeing uh, memory issues at work. Like, we're memory constrained mm-hmm. on some of our some of our products are memory constrained. So it's not about the performance of the garbage right. collector, more how much how much memory is actually being used. So, so the idea is compacting it will give you more headroom yes. to use, right? Yes, yes. So the idea is that we use a forking web server, we use Unicorn, and since we fork all of these processes, so we load up all of Rails and we fork a bunch of processes, but it ends up like all those child processes eventually copy all the parents' memory because of that fragmentation problem. So if we eliminate the fragmentation, then we should be able to keep more memory shared between all of the child processes and then drop overall memory usage. Do you think it'll also, it might help enable Ruby to be a little bit more liberal with when it returns pages to, to the operating system? Because it basically never does. Even though I know like there are code paths where it's allowed to, in practice, it basically never does. Yeah, it could, it could for sure. So one problem for your listeners that don't know about the GC internals, one problem is that you know, each time when you allocate a page, Ruby's memory layout is essentially, uh, it allocates a slab, which is also called an arena, and that slab is about 16K. And inside that slab, the slab is divvied up are divided up into evenly sized slots, which are 40 bytes. Those 40 bytes contain a Ruby object. Now, today, Ruby objects can't move around in memory. So what happens is if you have one object sitting on that page, that page will never get released back to the operating system. So as long as there's even just one live object on there, you're using, even though that Ruby object may be 40 bytes, you're still consuming 16K because the rest of it is empty. So essentially, if we could take all those objects and move them around, we could get to the point where we could free up those pages. So basically, this is a win-win for everybody involved. Yes, exactly. Except people are keeping things that look like pointers but aren't pointers on the C stack. Yeah, that's fine, though. They'll eventually go away. It's okay. The main issue that we've run into so far is like, um, the biggest issue I've run into so far is C globals. So what will happen is like, you allocate a Ruby object, and in C, you keep a global variable that points at that Ruby object, and then you set that Ruby object as, say, like a constant in Ruby. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to imagine, but imagine that there is a C global and a Ruby constant pointing at two references to the same object. Mm-hmm. Now, since I don't know, when I say I, I mean the GC, the GC doesn't know that there is a C global pointing at this Ruby object. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to move it. And it does, and now all of a sudden that C global reference has gone bad, mm-hmm. right? So the C code is written in such a way that it, it expects that Ruby objects will stay in the same location right. in memory all the time. So those are the biggest issues that we've run into. But to be honest, it's like I only ran into like two or three, and we use a ton of gems. This is out of all of our, all of our sure. dependencies. All of our dependencies, it's like not that big a deal. And we... Um, we do. I do some other things, like if you set a constant, like if you say, 
RB define const or RB const whatever the C call to define a constant, I make sure that that stays in the same location because typically constants are kept as global variables in C code. That's like the style. Okay. Right. So we know that there's this certain API that people use and they keep globals. So I make sure that those don't move. Do you think there's ever a path? to eventually change the C API so that the C code cannot get raw uh, direct pointers? I doubt it. I mean... Just too hard from backwards compatibility. Yeah, backwards compatibility. I doubt it. The thing is, like, most C... So it's, it's actually not a big deal. If you have a Ruby object that's implemented in C, we can still move that and everything's fine because when you get that object back, when that object goes back into your C extension and you have to unwrap it, you don't know that it moved... And it doesn't matter. You're just passing it to this function. Sure. You get the yeah. data back. Everything works fine. It's just this global gotcha. this global thing that's an issue. So, do, so are you still doing the stack scanning that you were talking about last time? Yeah. Okay. So it scans. Basically, there's a class of objects that cannot move. So when I do a compaction, I say everything that's on the stack cannot move because I can't modify. I can't mutate the machine stack. So that stays in the same location. Then everything that is... so. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, sure. but anything that is marked, so we, we mark those are roots. Anything that's a root, we don't allow move movement, a GC root. Then I do a full uh, GC, and what this does is that marks, does a full mark and sweep of your entire heap. And then if you call rbgc mark, it's a C function. So this is a thing. If you call rbgc mark on a Ruby object, I pin that object and don't allow it to move. And the reason is because, say there's a C extension, and that C extension points at a Ruby object, it has to mark that Ruby object or the reference will go bad. So the way that it marks it is by using RBGC mark. So we essentially have two marking functions in Ruby, a public one called RBGC mark. If you call that, it prevents those objects from moving. And we have an internal function just called GC mark. That GC mark is not exposed to anybody. We use that in Ruby internals, and it's for us. Like We know that those could possibly move. Gotcha. And so we mark using that C function. Cool. Well, it sounds like a really exciting uh, enhancement. It's fun to write, though very frustrating. I've gotten extremely good at using LLDB, and that's not a skill that I want to have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well... If it ships with a visualization like there used to be in Windows 98 of the the defrag. little boxes, yeah, I yeah. I used to run the defragger. Just I just liked watching it. Yeah, I love that. And I it's, liked the noises my hard drive made while it was happening. It's so sad though. After you do like after you do it once, you do it again. It's like oh, it's it's not that fragile. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. You know, I gotta delete fun. some things. Yeah, I think yeah. you should ship though that emoji visualization that you were tweeting pictures of <laughs> as an actual part of MRI <laughs> built-in tool. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, I think we should wrap up because we got to go to other talks. Yeah. All right. Goodbye to our friend Aaron. Goodbye, Aaron. Friend of the show. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they say in like professional things. Yeah. Friend, friend of, the of the show, show, Aaron Patterson. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for, for coming. Back. Yeah. Enjoy of the rest course. of the conference. Looking forward to your talk. I will. I'm going to go hide in a hotel room and finish my slides. All right. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 111. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>